Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. To stay connected with what's happening at Vintage, download the Vintage Church app to access sermon notes, events, devotionals, previous podcasts, and discover ways to get connected in community. We hope you join us again soon. All right. My favorite service of the weekend. My Monday night, people. Uh, it's funny, like the last um, couple days, I've had people come up to me and say, are we, are we having church next Monday night? It's Memorial Day. Uh, yeah. We're having church. Um, so uh, have you cook out at lunch? Take you a nap in the afternoon after swimming at the swimming pool? Uh, get your kid off the slip and slide? And be here next Monday night. I'm gonna, I'm, I don't know if we have a church, but I'm going to preach next Sunday or next Monday. And so if you're out of town next weekend or if you know people out of town, come tell them to come hang out with us next Monday night. And we're going to dive into the word together. And we're going to continue in a series that we're in called The Bottom Line. And we have intentionally been doing this series at this time. This series is actually one that was on my heart for a while. Um, because I, the more... The more I, the older I get, the more I'm kind of a bottom line kind of person. Anybody else like that? Like, let's cut through all the junk. Let's cut through all the stuff. Let's cut, let's cut through it and just get to the bottom line. Come on. And like, even in my interactions with people, you know, it's funny how people come up to you and they just have a way. And you ever just look at somebody, a coworker or a friend, just like, all right, just tell me what you want. Okay, just give me the bottom line. My kids, my kids are, are, are 11 going on 17. There ain't nothing scarier than a preteen girl. <laughs> Dear Lord Jesus, can we just, anyway, I need a time machine or something. Uh, but my, like my daughter, is, you know, it's funny how the older your kids get, the more they only ha- want to have conversations with you when they want something. They, when, when they hit teenagers, if they're talking to you, it's because they want something. Otherwise, they're not talking to you sometimes. But my daughter, like, you know, she, she has this way about her. Like, she, her, their birthday's coming up. In a few weeks, in, in June, they'll, they'll be 11. I have twins. Aiden and Leah, they'll be, tw- they'll be 11 in, in June. And, like, my daughter, uh, she comes up to me, and she's telling me all this stuff. Daddy, 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 daddy. And I'm like, what you want? Can I tell you what I want for my birthday? I'm like, Yeah. Just, just, just go ahead. It's like, just give me the bottom line. She, you know what she says? I'll text it to you. <laughs> About 10 minutes later, here it comes. Links to all the stuff that she wants for her birthday. It was prices and all that kind of stuff. And she's like, she sends me one thing. And she's like, Daddy, it's only $43. What's wrong with you, child? When I was 11, if I got a $5 present, we were doing cartwheels in the yard. You get, you get a $5 bill and a stick, and you're like, woo, it's a good day. So then it's like, I don't want the bottom line anymore. But, you know, when it comes, when it comes to faith, I feel like there are people that are searching. We live in, I know that we live in a culture where people are kind of convinced that, like, like, this whole Jesus stuff and church stuff and God stuff is, is just outdated and antiquated and nobody wants it. But I, I think the exact opposite is true. I think now more than ever, people, people are searching for something bigger than themselves. They're searching for God, but we have made him so complicated, and we have kind of 
build it up in our mind like that if we can't explain all there is to explain about God, then we shouldn't even try. And people don't need all the layers, especially in the beginning. You know what people need to come to faith is at first, like they need the bottom line. Like the essential things, the things that, that, that matter most. And it's not that, that, that in this series we're able to tackle all the things that matter, but they need that foundational faith that everything is built on. And it's like we try to get to the, to the, to the beyond things before we give the basic things. And so often that just confuses people and helps them to walk away from faith. And what's even more confusing for people is there are so many people that call themselves Jesus followers. And you can meet 10 people that are Jesus followers or disciples of Christ or Christians or whatever title that we're using these days. And all these people claim a belief in the same God, but yet have fundamentally different beliefs. And that's confusing our world. To say, okay, I'm a Christian, and she's a Christian, and he's a Christian, but yet fundamentally, they're, I mean, they're just big, big gaps in what we as believers supposedly believe. And the world is like, what is this thing really all about? And there is room for variance among the faith. There is room as followers of Jesus for us to disagree on some things. And that's the problem with the church is we haven't been able to rightly discern what we can agree upon and what we can't. And so we've either, we've either made it overly complicated or we've overly compromised. And we tend to swing to these pendulums. But the reality is that God has drawn some lines. Amen. Some immovable, erasable, un, not erasable lines. And like when you, when you start to dip below these lines and still call yourself a Christian, it's it's tricky. And I know that's not comfortable for us, but there are some lines that God has drawn. And when you start trying to live outside or move those lines or erase those lines or, or put those lines, or when you, when you start erasing lines that God has drawn or drawing lines that God didn't draw, it's a dangerous practice. And so in this series, what we're trying to do is, is, is talk about those bottom lines, those fundamental lines, those lines that when you move them, this whole thing begins to crumble. That if these lines get erased, then, then the foundation of our faith begins to get cracked and the whole thing begins to crumble down. And, and again, we're not able to address what, what all of them are, but my hope was in this series like to, to talk about these fundamental ones, the ones that, from, that all the other lines must flow from. And we started in week one talking about the authority of Scripture as the Word of God. That the Bible is God's Word. That the authority of Scripture as the Word of God is, 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 is the fundamental line. And the reason why we draw that line first is because it's from this line that all the other lines are drawn. Like what you think about this book is really going to shape what you think about everything else. Because if you see this as just a book with a bunch of ink and pages and paper and limericks and stories and, and wise tales and, and stuff that's just been maybe oral tradition that's been manipulated and twisted, then, then like it's going to really affect your theology, your understanding of God. And we deeply believe that, that this is written by men but authored by God. That it's Holy Spirit inspired and that God used people 
from Genesis to Revelation, and it's all important. The Old Testament is, is as important as the New Testament, and, and Jesus refers to that and makes mention of the importance and value of the New Testament and, and of the Old Testament and the New Testament that, that God made sure that the books that were put into our Bibles were, were very strategically placed there so like there was really high standards for what was in the Bible. So that's the line. And then last week we talked about the most important question that you will ever ask is, or you'll ever answer is, does God exist? It is without doubt the most important question you will ever ask. Does God exist? And if the answer to that question is no, then I guess we're done. Because if there is no God, then, then your existence and my existence is just some, the result of some scientific event. And we're all just biology and chemistry, and we're just kind of floating around. And really, if, if we're all just biology and chemistry, and, and we're, our, our existence is the result of some scientific event, then, then really there's no, there's no right, there's no wrong, there's no moral code. Like, there's nothing really matters. And even we're not, we, we shouldn't be held accountable for what we do, because what we do is just a, is just a biological response to some sim- stimuli that we couldn't control anyway. But if there is a God, if the answer is yes, there is a God, then it opens up a can of worms. It opens up a whole set of questions that we have to wrestle with. If there is a God, like how do I know him? How do I understand him? What does he want from me? What is he, does, he, does he even care about me? Or am I just created for his entertainment and amusement? Which is what some of us feel like sometimes. Come on. And we believe that here is where you go to answer all those questions about God. That because if you say, yes, there is a God, the source you go to to understand him matters. And if you go to the wrong source to shape your idea of God, it will eventually lead to your destruction. And so when you look to something other than scripture to shape your idea about God, it will shape an inaccurate portrait, portrait of God. But when you step into this book, what you discover is there is one eternal God creator of all things who exists as father son and holy spirit and his story and our story is just unveiled over the pages of scripture that we don't get to know all there is to know about god but we get to know all we need to know for now because really there is and and here's the thing i remind you like it's okay that you don't fully understand god because god's not fully understandable and the moment he is he's no longer god and no longer of our worthy of our worship. And we talked about right when you go into the first lines of scripture, you begin to see this about God. And one of the first things that you discover as you begin to read the Bible and look to understand God is you and I are his prized possession. That what he says about the creation of humanity, he doesn't say about any other thing that he created. He created in the heavens and the earth, and he created all these things that are good. But we are the only thing that he intentionally created in his image. That's a game changer. That you are created in the image of the creator. Which means you have value and worth and purpose. And your identity is not in what you do. It's in the God who made you. And as you read the story, you realize, like, God didn't create you because he was lonely and bored. God created you because he wanted to. God didn't need to create us. God, we, it's not like God made us because 
he was lonely or bored or he just didn't have anything better to do. He created us because he wanted us. He wanted relationship with us. And as the story unfolds, as humanity and the earth are formed, we got to live in full intimacy with God for a little while. That when creation dawned and humanity was formed from the dust in the image of God, God and humanity had this perfect communion, this perfect relationship with nothing in between us and nothing broken. And in that moment, God created one rule on the onset. He said, hey, Adam and Eve, you can eat from any tree in the garden except for one. There's one tree of its fruit, do not eat. And some ask, like, well, well like, why, why did God do that? And I think there's a lot of reasons. I think, number one, God, God wanted to establish his authority over us. But I also think he wanted to establish an authentic relationship with us. Because authentic love is never forced. It's always chosen. And so he gave us the opportunity to choose to be in relationship with him. And we had it for a little while. And then in chapter 3... Things went sideways. And the rest of human history is God trying to redeem what happens in chapter 3. So grab your Bibles. Go to Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to start with verse 1. Genesis chapter 3. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made because snakes are creepy. If you like snakes, you're creepy. <laughs> Hashtag I hate snakes. Um, so the snake says to the, the serpent says to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Stop right there. Do you notice what Eve just said? said, God said that you must not eat and you must not touch it. Did you know there's nowhere recorded in the Genesis account that God ever told Adam and Eve they couldn't touch the tree? He says, don't eat from it. But nowhere does he say, don't touch it. Like maybe from the onset, we've tried to put things on God that God has never said. We tried to overcomplicate this thing from the very beginning. Eve, he never said don't touch it. He said don't eat it. And look at what the serpent says. Verse 4. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And you see what the enemy does from the very beginning? You notice he doesn't try to, he said, hey, hey, you, you think God's drawn this line. But has God really drawn this line? See, from the onset, the enemy's game has been to try to convince us that God didn't say what we know God clearly said. And, and he doesn't do that by, by, by trying to, show, to get us to, to move the line a mile. The enemy's game has never been to try to move the line a mile. He just wants us to get us to move it at all. Because when you move God's lines, whether it's a quarter of an inch or a mile, moving is moving. And when you move God's line, you are the authority. God is not, and it's a dangerous path for all of our lives. 
See, the enemy is never, the enemy very rarely comes at us drastically trying to distort what God has said. He wants to distort it just enough where maybe it seems true, could be true, might be true, because then maybe we could buy his lie. Have you ever noticed that? That's why you have to be really careful of things that really come close to appearing to be authentic faith, but maybe have just enough variance to lead to your death. The devil comes and say, okay, maybe he said that, but he didn't really say that. Let's just move it just a little bit. Like, like the devil never comes and saying, hey, I'm the devil. Follow me. Go to hell. <laughs> like, that's not how the devil shows up. The devil even tries to get us to manipulate God's word. You remember his, the temptation with, with the enemy and, and Jesus after the 40 days in the, de- in, in, in the wilderness? Like, he tries to even you, nobody, there's not an entity on this earth that knows the word of God better than the devil himself. And if he can manipulate your understanding of God's word, he can lead you down a path of destruction. You need to, let's keep going, I got a lot more I need to say. Number verse 6, so when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, Y'all ever notice that in all the stories we see of this or all the depictions, it's always an apple? Again, it never says it's an apple. I like to think maybe it was a mango. But mangoes are delicious. So I don't know. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it and also gave some to her sorry old husband who was standing there sucking his thumb, not paying attention and being the leader he was supposed to be when Eve needed him to be that. See, we like to give Eve a hard time, but Adam's just standing there like, okay, (laughs) give me a bite too. If you're going to eat it, I'm going to eat it, I guess. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. And ate it too. Like he was standing there the whole time. I know, fellas, we like to be like, I want my rib back, woman, because you ate the fruit. I didn't. But he was there the whole time. And from the onset, husbands, we've been failing our wives. Then both, then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. N E C K E D. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. See the first episode of Naked and Afraid in Genesis. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Sorry. Then the man said, the woman you put me here with, uh, she gave it to me. It was her. I ate it, but she, she gave it to me. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? Then the woman said, the servant did it. The servant deceived me, and I ate it. So the Lord said to the servant, because you have done this, and as you keep reading, you see the fallout from the fall. Because in that moment, when humanity made the decision to deliberately disobey God, the bottom line is, 
sin severed our relationship with God. And that's the bottom line. That with that decision, with that willful, conscious choice to deliberately do what God said not to do, sin entered the world and it severed the communion and intimacy we had with our Creator. And it's a decision that all of us have made at some point. Because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have made decisions consciously and willfully to disobey God. I have done it all throughout my life. And it's funny, like, like we don't even like that word because it seems religious or uncomfortable. We don't even like, we don't even like to say sin. We, we, we're more comfortable saying, you know what? I've, I've messed up. I've made mistakes in my life. But anymore, I just have to be honest about myself. I, I've, done, I've done more than just make mistakes. I've done more than just mess up. Making a mistake is, is leaving the house and forgetting to turn the kitchen light off. Making a mistake is going out to lunch and, and, and leaving your keys sitting on the table and having to go back and pick them up. Like to put that on the same level of, as the decisions to deliberately to disobey the God who created me and loves me and wanted a relationship with me, like making a mistake, messing up, it does not adequately, adequately describe the weight of what's happened. I have sinned. I've done more than just make mistakes. I have committed sin. And I would love to stand up here and tell you like, oh, I didn't know. Or it was somebody else's fault. And that's kind of our tendency is to do exactly what Adam and Eve did. Well, it's her fault or their fault, or I was young, I was dumb, I was the wrong crowd, I was this, I was that, the devil made me do it. Like, we love, but the reality is, like, throughout my life, I have never been ignorant of what God wanted from me. I grew up in a home where I was taught it, I knew it, I learned it, I've been exposed to the Bible my whole life, and I've still consciously and willfully made decisions to disobey what I know God wanted from me. And it's wrecked my relationship with him. And you have too. And the consequences of those decisions, like here's the bottom line. The bottom line is there is a one God, eternal God, who created all things and exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And whose character and nature and design is written across the pages of Scripture. And when you read that of Scripture, you realize that there is a way that he wanted for us that we all have chosen not to go. And that is called sin. And the result of that sin is our communion with him has been severed. That's the bottom line. And in verse 14, God begins to describe the fallout from this fall, the consequences of what have, has just happened. But what, what happens immediately after Adam and Eve make the willful decision to sin reveals so much about God. Adam and Eve sin. And you look, what ha look at what happens in verse 9. Adam and Eve have just willfully made the decision to disobey what they knew God wanted. And it says, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And over the next few verses, God asks several questions. And can I just give you a little Bible study tip? When you see God starting to ask questions, pay attention because God does not have any questions he doesn't already know the answer to. 
So when God is asking us a question, it's not for his information, it's for our transformation. Like there's more to it than just him asking questions. God comes and says, Adam, where are you? Adam and God are not playing hide and go seek. Because hide and go seek with God is never a good idea. He wins every time. He's God. God doesn't do peekaboo, where are you, with humanity. But you know, the moment that sin entered the world, if we were God, you know what we would have done? I'm done. You ate it. She ate it. Y'all bought the lie. I gave y'all one rule. One. And you couldn't do it. You let yourselves be deceived. I'm done with y'all. I'm going to Mars and I'm starting over. <laughs> We're just going to redo this whole thing. But God come, But God's reaction to sin's entrance into the world is not to abandon us, but to come looking for us. Do you see what that reveals about God? We, we do the wrong, and he comes looking for us. That's the kind of God that we, are, that we serve, that, was, that created us, that his love for us runs so deep that even in our disobedience, he comes looking for us. That's why when I hear people say, oh, I found God. Was God lost? You can't find God. God finds you. God has been looking for you. God, Adam sins, Eve sins, and what does God do? He comes looking for them. And from the onset of creation, God has been looking for his lost children, searching for them to find them and restore the relationship with them that he has always wanted to have. And when God says to Adam, where, it's not, where are you? It's, where are you? Y'all know the difference in that question? The difference between, like, when you, when you can't find somebody and be like, hey, where are you? I, between when you're talking to somebody and they're in space, you're like, where are you? Come on. Like, y'all have had a conversation with somebody, and, like, they're looking at you, but they're in another la-la land with your spouse, with your kids, with somebody, with coworkers. It's like, where are you? Because you're trying to get them to snap into reality. I think that's the purpose of God's where are you. Like, like Adam, do you understand where you are now? compared to where you were, that where you were before you made this decision was in full connection and intimacy with me, but now do you understand where you are because you've done this? Before you were vulnerable and connected to me, and there was no distance, and there was no separation, but now you've made the decision to disobey, and sin has severed our relationship. Do you understand now where you are? Do you understand the repercussions of the decision that you have just made. And then all of his other questions are again, you're trying to get them to real. He says, who, who told you this? And again, it, was, it wasn't because God didn't know. Because he's trying to say, remember next time, who told you this lie? Like, you need to come to full awareness of the fact that you have an enemy that's trying to convince you that I didn't say what you know I said. So remember who told you this, Remember who told you the lie, and remember who came looking for you when you bought it. Remember that. Because you need to understand that, that, that something has happened. And in verse 14, you see the fallout. 
But thank God, verse 15 comes. Because verse 15 is the turning point in all of history. Because for the first time, God points to Jesus. God didn't wait hundreds of years. This didn't happen and God sat around for hundreds of years thinking, what are we going to do with these people? Trinity up there having a conversation. What y'all think we should do? God not only knew it happened, he knew it was going to happen, and he created us anyway. And from the onset, he said, I'm going to do something to deal with this. And in verse 15, for the first time, he points to Jesus. He says, and I, God, will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He, Jesus, will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. That, yeah, this has happened, and yeah, you came, and you got my prized possession, and you caused them to lead them into temptation in order to move them into this position. But I want you to know that I'm going to one day send one that the best you'll be able to do is bruise his heel. But what he'll be able to do is crush your head. And when he does, it will be over and I will fix it and I will redeem what sin has wrecked. And in that moment, God points to the only thing that would restore us to our rightful relationship with him. Because see, the bottom line is sin severed our relationship with God. And the bottom line is salvation is found in Christ alone. That the only solution for the sin is Jesus. Salvation is found in Christ alone. That what's necessary to deal with my sin and your sin and every human sin that's ever lived on this planet, there's not another way to be made right with God but Jesus. I know that we think that like, in this culture, well, all religions, if you just practice the right things and do the right stuff, then, then, then you can be made right with God. No, that's not truth. All to be made, made right with God, just live your truth. There is not your truth. There is the truth, and his name is Jesus. Amen. And it's only his truth that will take you to redemption with God and redeem you from the sin that has wrecked your relationship with him. And for some people, that like seems, man, like, man, that seems really exclusive. It's an exclusive path, but it comes with an all-inclusive invitation. Because anyone who will call upon the name of Jesus has the opportunity to experience the salvation that he offers. That only Jesus can restore and redeem us. And it's clear all throughout scripture. Let me rattle off some passages. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 Salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 5 and 6 for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Colossians chapter 1 verse 21 and 22 Once you were alienated from God And you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free of accusation. That because of who Jesus is, because of his life, his death, and his resurrection, we can be made right with God. Sin severed our relationship with God. But the bottom line is salvation is found in Christ alone. 
that that's the only way to deal with the thing that separates us from the one who created us. That sin is real and we've all done it. We've all committed it. Every single one of us who's ever lived. And the only solution for that is Jesus. And the reality is, like, there's nothing else that's going to make you right with God. And can I just ask, forgive us, the church, for how complicated we've made this whole thing. So many people, we've made it complicated to get to God because we've made it so doggone complicated to get to church. Because it's, we think it's so complicated to even walk through those doors, much less get to the God who we're supposed to represent. Because we've told people before you walk through those doors, you've got to clean yourself up. You've got to dress just right. You've got to cover up your tattoos. You've got to do all these things. You've got you you to look like us and talk like us and do all these kind of things. And when you, when you look like us, we'll let you in. And so people have thought, well, I've got to get right before I can come to God. You don't get right to come to God. You come to God to get right. And even we've put so much guilt on people. We think, oh, oh, for me to be saved and have a relationship with God, it's about, it's about knowing all the Bible and, and coming to church the right amount of times and, and doing all these good deeds. And, and, and let me just, reading the Bible is awesome. Reading the Bible will give you understanding to see your sin. Like reading the Bible will help you understand what is sin and what is not. Reading the Bible will help discover what God's standards are and what God's standards aren't. Reading the Bible and knowing the Bible and understanding the Bible will help you to better understand what God desires from you. So read your Bible. I know it's frustrating that to get to know God, he made us read. That's why he allowed the Bible app to be invented. You can hit play in your car and it'll just read it right to you. You're welcome. You got no excuse to be ignorant of God's word. You're just lazy if you're not in it. Because it's there right in front of us. Reading the Bible will give you understanding to see your sin. Going to church will give you the accountability to acknowledge your sin. It'll give you the community that you need to help see those blind spots in your area of life and people to call you out and help you to wrestle through those things. Amen. Doing good will give you comfort to feel better about your sin. And that's kind of what we think. Okay, I did three bad things yesterday. Do three good things today. Me and God, we good. But the reality is, only accepting his grace will give you forgiveness from your sin. See, reading the Bible will help you see your sin. Going to church will give you accountability to acknowledge your sin. Doing good will make you feel better about your sin. But only accepting his grace will give you forgiveness from your sin. Because the forgiveness that comes through Jesus is a free gift. You don't have to earn it. Matt, I don't feel good enough. You're not. And neither am I. But he still came down and said, where are you? You're not worthy. You don't deserve it. Neither did I. But he came anyway. And it doesn't matter how big or small your sin is. Isn't that funny how we think of, we think, oh, there's small sins and big sins. There are no small sins and big sins. They're just sin. There is no small sin because there's no small God to sin against. Amen. And your sin is no better or worse than anybody else's sin. It's just sin. Stop trying to categorize it. Stop thinking yours are, is, stop carrying around the arrogance that yours is better and stop carrying around the guilt that yours is worse. And the salvation 
that is in Christ alone to deal with the sin that separated you from him? How do you get it? You just receive it. Ephesians. No, let's start with Romans. Romans 3, 22. The righteousness, this, right, this righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew or Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely. Somebody say freely. Freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Not that you were bad in your transgressions and sins. You were dead. I remind you, Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to bring dead people back to life. It says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is at work and those who are disobedient. See, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by very nature, we deserved wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show his incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. That is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The bottom line is sin has severed your relationship with God. The bottom line is that salvation is found in Christ alone. And the bottom line is salvation is a gift given by grace. And to be made right with him, there's two things you're going to need to do. Number one, you've got to admit you're guilty. See, when God said, Adam, where are you? The first thing Adam had to do was admit where he was before God can get him where he needed to be. So before you can get to where you need to be, you've got to admit where you are. And if you're outside of Jesus, where you are is separated from God. You've got to admit your guilt. And the second thing, accept his grace by accepting what he did for you in and through Jesus when he gave his life so that you could have it. That's the bottom line. You bow your heads, close your eyes with me. I want to talk to some people in the room. First of all, the people that are here, that you know you walk into this room tonight and your relationship with God has been severed. And it's not because you messed up. It's not because you made a mistake. It's because you have willfully sinned. You have consciously made the decision to step outside of what you know God desires for you. The only way that you can be made right with God is to accept the salvation that comes as a free gift of the unmerited favor of God. And you do about that by just admitting that you're guilty. I know it's old school, but it's admitting you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And if you need to do that tonight, I'm going to ask you to do something really courageous. Just join the other 14 or 15 people that did it yesterday and just 
stand right where you are because I want to pray for you. Like I know that my relationship with God is severed by my sin and I know that salvation is found in Christ alone and I want to accept the grace that he has given me to make me right with him. If that's you, it doesn't matter if anybody's looking, doesn't matter if anybody's watching, doesn't matter what your spouse thinks, doesn't matter what the people around you are going to think, just stand up right where you are. God, I receive your grace. Amen. Amen. Who else? Come on, stand up. Amen. As you're standing up, you might not feel any different right now. Fireworks may not be going off in your spirit and things might not be all warm and fuzzy inside, but just know that you accepting Jesus is not, it's not a feeling, it's a faith. Accepting His grace and trusting Him for what He's doing. You don't need to regurgitate some prayer that I give you. You just need to acknowledge what Jesus has done for you. And you just need to say, God, I know I've made mistakes. I know I've done more than make mistakes. I know I've sinned. And I know that accepting what Jesus did on the cross for me is the only way to make me right with you. And so, God, I accept that. I receive the free gift of your grace to be made whole and right with you, Lord. And guess what? The Bible says that you step into salvation. And you begin a new journey of faith and relationship with him. Amen. I'm going to invite those of you who are still seated. Would you go ahead and stand quietly and reverently as we prepare to worship? And as we worship through this last song, I just want you to do something. However you feel led, just to rest in the grace. Grace is, is what saves us. It's what sustains us. It what gives us strength in our weakness. And maybe tonight as we close this time together worshiping, you just need to express your gratitude. Like, God, thank you for giving me grace. Thank you for saving me. God, thank you for coming and looking for me, that I didn't have to find you, that you came and found me, that you didn't have, I didn't have to come searching for you in all the corners of life. But, Lord, from the onset, even though we made the decision to sin, God, you stepped out and said, where are you? Do you realize where you are, that you're separated from me, and you couldn't stand that fact? You wanted us so much that you stepped out of the comfort of heaven into the chaos of earth to go to a cross to die for us God and the bottom line is we can be made holy and righteous because of the blood of Jesus and so God with gratitude tonight we worship you and we honor you and we lift up your name the name of Jesus amen thanks for listening to the vintage church podcast to stay connected with what's happening at vintage download the vintage church app to access sermon notes events devotionals previous podcasts, and discover ways to get connected in community. We hope you join us again soon.